Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. I am your host, Blaine Putvey, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Good afternoon. How's it going? Not too bad. Nice to have a day off and uh, about to go work security for the Trenton Golden Hawks for the night. So looking forward to uh, some live hockey tonight. Hopefully they can pick up another win. Well, you know, security, you know, security serious if they're bringing you in a registered weapon. I know, right? (laughs) Gonna go fight off all those Trenton locals. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And if they get out of hand, you just throw them that blue steel look, don't you? Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just cross my arms and just look at them. Feel like I'm better than you. (laughs) Glorious. Yeah. (laughs) Stop a ninja star in his tracks. You're all set. Pretty, Pretty much. Yeah. You're, you are Trenton's version of Zoolander. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I, I've been doing this for a few years now, and I've actually only had one run-in with a fan, so it actually hasn't been too bad. And you get to watch hockey for free. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a, bad, not a bad gig at all. That's right. Uh, so for this episode, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about the Calgary game, the Edmonton game, as we record it Sunday December 4th. So those games are just fresh in our minds. And then we'll touch a little bit on the overall Western road trip that the Canadians are on. It's a short episode. Unfortunately, we don't have Treg here with us. Uh, He's got a family uh, event that he's at right now. Uh, He sends his regards to everybody and he thanks you for continuing to click on his stuff. So without further ado, We'll we'll just dive right into the Calgary game. So Montreal rolls into Calgary. It's Monaghan's return to the Saddle Dome. Uh, the Canadians somehow win two to one. But I wanted to start with the Monaghan tribute and what you saw of it. I think it was I think it was classy. I think I think it was something that we kind of expected. Uh, he was a yeah. well liked player out there, and I don't think they would have moved on to him. If, if it hadn't been for the, uh, the size of his contract and maybe the fact that uh, they were looking to get young, well, not even necessarily younger, just to get, um, they're trying to bring in more offensive weapons and they knew that they were going to bring in some guys and have to spend a hell of a lot of money to do it. 
uh, bringing in uh, Kadri, Uyghur, uh Huberdo, et cetera, and, and signing them to contracts. They probably wouldn't have moved on from them, but uh, it's, a, it's a deal that right now is where really worked out for the Canadians. And if they can flip him for a, a prospect or a first round pick, then it's a massive win for Hughes. But uh, about the tribute, yeah, it was classy. I think he really appreciated it, and uh, he ended up having a very good game against his former team. So kind of a win-win yep, for him. He did. Uh, I, I, they showed some of it on TV, but mostly it was his response to the fans. I mean, he's normally a very reserved, quiet person anyway, but you can tell he was moved emotionally. I mean, this yeah. is a guy who was drafted by that team, spent his entire career up till now with that, that city, yeah. those people, and it meant a lot to him. You can tell, yeah. and he was motivated, I think, to show Treliving that he made a mistake that signing uh Kadri to a larger deal for a longer term for someone who at as of the recording of this episode has less points than Monahan yeah was an error and i understand why uh they they were worried about uh, Monahan's health moving forward and i agree this is a massive home run for the canadians right. uh getting a first round pick just to take him on and then have him play as a second line center already if they score another first round pick, uh, we'll be able to look back in about five years if this Canadians team is a Stanley Cup contender and say the this move was a major uh, reason why. Right. I think most people are obviously going to take Kadri over Monahan, but as we record right now, they both have 16 points. Yeah. Right. So, I, I as I said, it's a massive win so far for Hughes. If they can flip him, as you said. It would be a it'd be a huge win, and uh, there's going to be people that are out there at the deadline that are going to want this guy on their team. Absolutely, I know there's a big discussion about keeping him, signing him to a contract, and the Canadians are exploring that option. Uh, Hughes has already said that they are looking at that, but they're looking at all the options available to them. And in the long term, really, they are better off to trade him for a large asset, and he is on the lookout for another first. And if a first is offered. You take that first. Yeah. So it's something you got to jump on. Yeah. Now, with that being said, Monahan did have, as you mentioned, a great game against Calgary, and it didn't take long for him to be noticed. Thirteen seconds, to be a matter no. of fact. Yeah. Um, well, you look at the you look at the play at the start of the game. Um, you know, they had him out there for the opening faceoff, which was great to see. Um, and as you said, it only took 13 seconds for the puck to be in the back of the net. Uh, Markstrom made I, a play to the puck that perhaps maybe he shouldn't have made because puck ended up finding Slavkovsky and it was soon in the back of the net. And uh, it ended up being one nothing Canadians right up to the tail end of the second period. So um, it was it was a it was a game that uh, in general, the Canadians probably shouldn't have left with a win. But they found yeah. a way. They found a way to do so. They were uh, they were outshot uh, forty six to nineteen in 19. that game. Yeah, and uh, Jake Allen came up large, and uh, he definitely he definitely stole that game for the Canadians. It was not it's not a lot of we don't hear it very very often now. Um, they actually did a graphic the other night about. Uh, some of the best goaltenders in the league or over the league the last few years and how they've been stealing games. And 
the the stats this year don't point to that direction but uh last or uh on Thursday nights they uh, Jake Allen definitely stole that win for the Canadians well it's obvious that the Canadians goaltending tandem has been playing above expectations or one of the yeah. better tandems in the league for uh expected goals against and all that right. and it's not a surprise that they're competitive because those goalies are keeping them in the games. I mean, you look at the amount of chances that the Canadians gave up in that game. Now, it, there's only a handful that were given up by Calgary. Four high danger chances, to be a matter of fact. The first one being that goal by Monahan, which I or by uh, Slavkovsky on Monahan's play. Now, I can understand why uh, Markstrom came out to play the puck. Otherwise, it was a clear breakaway for Monahan. He made a little mistake, but I think that the bigger error was the two defensemen allowing Monaghan to just slip between the two of them without being touched. That was true. And and then Slavkovsky, of course, burying that goal. Excellent, excellent follow-up play by him. Now, back to the Canadians. Goaltending and the high-danger chances. That game, uh, if, if you were into... Uh, going to dungeons and being dominated. This was the game for you because the Canadians, which I am <laughs> absolutely dominated. They did. I mean, they did. high danger chances for Calgary, 14 Canadians four. Uh the yeah. Corsi four percentage. The flames were at about 65%, meaning they controlled the game 65% of the time. They had 78% of the high danger chances and they were at about 66% of the expected goals for this is a game that every stat says they should have won and won big right and this is where jake allen did step up i mean he had a couple of bad games prior to this but he's got a newborn he's probably not sleeping that well when he's playing at home right he goes on the road gets a solid night's sleep and then whoop turns into superman and uh, we even saw how the Canadians were playing. They they were they were getting in the lanes. It was kind of like the San Jose game. Yeah, but San Jose, how they played and got in the lanes of every shot that the Canadians were trying to take, and um, they were able to do that. And uh, Savard's been doing that all year. He had seven blocks in that game. So, um, and they also played a game with. Uh, a full six defense. Well, they put seven defensemen actually, um, but they played with six defensemen, which we'll get to for the next game because that wasn't really, that wasn't really the case for the uh, for the majority of the Edmonton game. So, um, but with the, with with the Calgary game, it's just this team doesn't quit, and they were given an opportunity late late in the uh, late in the game. As I said, they were playing um, eleven forward, seven defense. Um, again, the fourth line didn't provide very much. A Weidman only played just over six minutes as did Pizzetta. Um, and it was the same thing for the Edmonton game. However, Pitlick, uh, jumped into that, um, fourth lines needs to be better. It's, there's no, there's no other way of putting it. Um, but they were finally given an opportunity on the power play and Caulfield, uh, Caulfield scored off of a great pass from Suzuki when, another with with a secondary assist to uh to Sean Monahan and uh the power play is starting to heat up a little bit it's not as um predictable as what it was 
but it's still quite predictable. You know who it's going to, you know who's going to shoot, but they're making it work as of right now. And uh, I think it's more to do with the speed of execution. You know, it's you know who the shooters are. Yeah. But instead of pass setup, pass setup, yeah. pass setup, shoot, it's quick pass, quick pass shot. Yeah. Get it on. You're a not stick giving and the get it other off. team. Yeah. 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 You're not giving the other team time to set themselves. And that right. I think has been the difference in this road trip thus far. Well, it's a, uh, it's how it's how they they set up as well. Like. We know yeah. that the we know that Suzuki's got an underrated shot, and he's got the move. It's where, so unsustainable, though. Exactly, completely unsustainable. Um, but <laughs> it goes up close to the blue line. He comes in, he skates in. It's a quick wrister, and he's got. And it's a very underrated shot, as I said. With Caulfield, they try to get it around the around the just south of the faceoff dot. Well, we saw the other night was the fact that they were trying to, and against Calgary, they were trying to put him closer to the goalie and maybe a little, just like a little backdoor pass type thing. And it was, it was causing a little bit more grief for the defenders because he wasn't just stationary in that one position. So it's something to, uh, something to look forward to in the next few games and maybe that they're going to mix things up a little bit. Well, if the playoff is uh, the playoff, if the power play is clicking, it can steal games. I mean, Jake Allen was a massive piece of that game against Calgary, but that that power play goal by Caulfield off that gorgeous cross seam pass by Suzuki, that was the winner. And right. you want your power play. And the Canadians only had uh, they had three power plays that game. They went one for three. They shut down all the other ones. So if you're winning this special teams battle, and your goalie makes unbelievable saves you have a shot now the game against edmonton well (laughs) well (laughs) they that was a game they should have won but lost so it kind of evens out yeah so talking about special teams going into that game um you had the fifth best penalty kill going against the fifth best power play however we're not really talking five on threes we're talking penalty kill in general we're not talking about consecutive 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 five on threes we'll get to that in a moment i just wanted to make it clear i want to talk about the the game at five on five because the canadians right. absolutely dominated they that did game. they did they were 63 percent on the Corsi four uh they were well they were only 50 percent on the high danger chances i mean eight each um and they had a couple more scoring chances uh the the expected goals for were about even and I think that has a lot to do with the skill level of the Oilers. Now, the Canadians controlled possession, but whenever Edmonton had the puck on McDavid's stick, it was dangerous. Yeah, which, it, which it always will be against most teams. And yeah, before we move on to our next part, shout out to Caden Gooley for actually putting his hands on McDavid and not taking a penalty. And no one shot him. And no, and nobody, nobody crucified him. He didn't end up in the box for the rest of the game. Actually, I was, I was rather impressed by uh, his mobility and his ability to stay with, uh, stay with McDavid, as McDavid's coming in almost top speed to get himself set up, and yet Gooley just stayed right there with him, kept his gap, was able to rub, uh, rub him out of the play. Uh, Gooley also played a strong game throughout. 
I mean, there's some errors. He's still a rookie, but overall, I mean, the guy played over 20 minutes against some of the most uh, potent offensive players in the NHL. Right. And he did not look out of place. No, not at all. Which bodes well for the Canadians' future on the blue line, but not so much in that game because another segment of the blue line uh, brought some issues. Like Jack Eye made a small uh, made an error behind the net at the end of the period, causing a, p- a penalty to be called, and from there it snowballed. Yes, it would be the nicest term I could use. Yeah, it was a very what that was a very, garbage was. It was a very steep hill because that snowball <laughs> it grew pretty quick. Let's just say that more of a cliff, more yeah. of a cliff, because that was that was ridiculous. It was. It was. I mean, holy Jesus. At one point I, I asked on Twitter if any team had ever spent an entire period shorthanded, you know, just to find out. Not just shorthanded, but shorthanded by through. two persons. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Well, let's look at some of the penalties. Like the Jack Eye penalty probably shouldn't have taken it. And um Thank you to Jack Michaels for bringing it up every about 15 seconds. And like, I know I've got a good friend of mine. I got a good friend of mine that I know that's going to listen to this show and they know I'm not a Jack Michaels fan and I'm just going to keep saying it. (laughs) Yeah, I can see why. It's just, it's just like, he calls a good game. It's just how he calls the game. It, it he needs, highlights it, everything's everything's going to be a highlight everything's going to be like emphasis on you know big david or whatever like the whole time and it's just like the most annoying shit ever because it's just yeah. like it's like when he gets really going it sounds like he's getting choked and we did talk about being dominated earlier so it's true you know there's correlation with that <laughs> I wonder what the safe word was for the referees in that oh, game because geez. the Canadians could have used it. The Canadians needed it, that's for sure. But um, like Edmondson takes a penalty, first five on three happens, right? Um, Kirby Doc holding penalty, which was that one was iffy at best, yeah. right? He's going side by side with McDavid. McDavid goes down, flops like he just got shot. And Doc goes to the I mean, box, right? It, it looked like he toe-picked. Right. But then 12 seconds later, um, that's right, 12 seconds later, Emerson comes in, gets a stick up high, um, rubs Hyman out along the boards. Hyman gets cut, slow to his feet, gets a Band-Aid put on his head, he's out there for the next shift. And Edmonton's out the rest of the game with a five, uh, yeah. five in a game for a cross jack. I completely agree that that was a penalty. Absolutely. I'm even, Absolutely I'm even on board with a four minute because he cut him. But judging by what they've been calling over the last couple of years, that should not have been a five. No, they've let have been a worse. Five. They've let worse go. And even the four, he didn't cut him with his stick. It's because he forced his head I mean, into the boards and then his visor cut his head. But I, I mean, I can but still, still give him a, four. I would accept a four over a five in a game, especially at that point in the game 
where having your one of your top four defensemen in the game could have really helped the situation with the Canadians. And maybe yeah. it may be turned it maybe turn this into a victory. You never know. Yeah. But I don't but yeah. I don't agree. I don't agree that it was five. Especially no. especially that... since especially since Hyman continued to play and uh, he picked up he picked up uh two assists in the game, uh one of them being just a couple minutes after his alleged injury that he was slow to slow to his skates for. Well, whether or not a player's injured shouldn't factor into whether it's a major or not. I, I, I'm not a fan of that part. But the fact that he was given a five in a game would say that he purposely targeted that player's head and right. followed through, even though he couldn't, he could have stopped. And in, in this case, he didn't target player's head on purpose. Not my view. Um, right. With Hyman bent down, slouched over, uh, could Edmondson have just instead finished his check properly and not put his stick out a little bit? Sure. But that's why it's a penalty and not right. a big hit. Yeah. That, there's a reason why the league didn't have a conversation with Edmondson after the game. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it really, but that it really, was, but really, like, that after, was the turning point. Uh, but after that, though, that's, there was three goals scored five on three. And yep. then all, and then all of a sudden, the Canadians got on the gas right after that, and um, uh, Dadnov scored a second of the season, assisted by uh, Armia, and I believe Kovacevic got an assist on that one as well. Um, Armia got a quick shot on net, got his first point of the season. Thank God, it finally came, um, and Dadnov potted that in. Uh, soon after, the Canadians get a little bit of a um, a power play opportunity from a. Hooking penalty off of McDavid when uh, Matheson was cutting to the net, and we see Jack Eye jump in for this time, score his fourth of the year. Um, I like that sequence because I I don't know if he was just trying to get the shot through, or if he was saying, "Hey, I'm the best option." But what I like it is that Slavkovsky was looking for that puck. And he was lifting his stick a few times. And I don't know if that was more of a decoy or, or what happened on that play, but Jack, I thought he was the best option and apparently he was, and he ended up scoring his fourth of the year. Now that play, I agree. He, it looked like he was going for the simplistic approach and you look at how he walked in an extra five, six feet because he was given that lane. Uh, Slavkovsky, off to the side, drew one of the defenders by being so open and calling for it. Uh, and Jack is not known for having a blistering shot, but what he is known for is accuracy. He's able to get shots on net. And in in that play, it looked as if he's he thought, eh, I got some space, I'll just take a quick shot. And then it, it went in. Yeah. So right now he is leading... I think he's leading all rookie defensemen in the NHL in goals. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Not he bad. is, yeah. And he's got, he's, uh, Savard's got eight points. Jack has got seven. And Gooley's got nine as of right now. So, the, uh, the rookies, wise, he's yeah, right up there. Yeah. But rookies, rookies are, uh, leading the way for the Canadians this year on the blue line. 
is that's pretty much all they are. <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of hopeful in watching this because they've got so many rookies, like you mentioned, and pretty much all of them are playing so well throughout the year. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of ups and downs. Harris has had a couple of bad games, but overall, globally, uh, the rookie defensemen have stepped up. Yeah. Kovacevic, you you watch a game and find an event where Kovacevic's name pops out for you. The fact that you don't notice him says a lot about the effectiveness of his play. Yeah. Like the the goal that ended up being the winner, the nurse goal. You yeah. can that was a little bit on Kovacevic, but it was mostly on Jake Evans. Yeah, Evans lost his man. Right? Because you don't let a guy from the blue line just skate in like that and uh, and get that close to your goalie. Um, but it was pressure that was on Kovacevic. But at the same time, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame the defense much in that game because the majority of the players that were playing were <laughs> were rookies, and at that point, Evanson was gone. They knew they they knew he wasn't going to come back. To mention they were used heavily in the penalty kill. They put yes. in a lot of minutes in that period. They did uh, prior to because they had to kill not one, two, but try to kill three straight five on threes. I mean, right. not not like there was a gap in there either. Nope. They were back to back to back. The second one player came out, they threw another one in. I'm not saying that the Canadians did not deserve the penalties. But how often do you see calls like that being made in a game and then continued? I mean, right. they let a lot of stuff go one way, call stuff another way. Well, uh, like the standards look, that they're calling change. I look at the McDavid goal that made it five three, and yeah. uh, just before that, well, Evans' name's coming up again. He was coming over the blue line, I believe it was Costin. Gave him a bump at the blue line clearly an interference call and probably 20 30 seconds later the pucks up the ice no whistle in between and mcdavid you know uses his speed cuts through and scores what ends up being the uh the five on the the five three goal which at that point pretty much put it out of hand for or out of uh out of the way for them to pick up a victory so it was uh it wasn't the most consistent called game i'm not going to say that that's why they lost um clearly the canadians uh discipline or maybe some of the decisions they made weren't necessarily there but you look at any team and you get three get pretty much three consecutive five on threes you're not going to win that game Especially not against a team that's running at a 28% on their power play, who boasts Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid right. as shooters on their power play. Right. You will not win those games. Uh, granted, Edmonton stole a win because of their power play. Yeah. But that's what good teams need to do. And right. Edmonton is desperately fighting for that uh, that playoff seeding. So good for them. I mean, I'm not... Uh, they. Overall, I thought they played a fairly strong game, and no one could say that the game between those two teams wasn't exciting to watch. No, it had a, it's had a, it had its moments. If you ask Jack Michaels, it was the entire game. 
Um, oh but, yeah, domination, <laughs> right? It, it, or it had its moments, but uh, if uh, like if you're if you're a fan of you know power play after power play after power play, <laughs> which I am not, I real I do enjoy no. watching five on five hockey. Then it was the game for you, but looking at their next game against the Canucks, a team that's been very, very much hit or miss this season. Um, this is one that they're going to want to go into and kind of make a statement and, and, and pick up, uh, and pick up, a, I'm not gonna say a much needed win, but they want to get back to their winning ways. Let's just say that they, they had, a, they still had a strong game against Edmonton despite the loss. They didn't have a strong game against Calgary and they picked up a win. So, how about a strong game where they pick up a win? That would be nice. Put the two together. Right. Now, part of the uh, the road trip thus far uh, has been the use of Slavkovsky in a top six role on the Monaghan line. Right, uh, which is something Calgary, we've been asking he... for for a long time. Exactly. So he put in about 12 minutes and 30 seconds worth of ice time in the game against Calgary. The game against Edmonton, despite all of those five on threes and all the penalties, he still ended up just under 15 minutes. So you're seeing Slavkovsky is being given a little bit more and a little bit more. And he, he's becoming more noticeable in those times. Uh, he's scoring goals, getting assists. He got an assist in that game against uh, Edmonton. Um, and yes, there's some issues with his game, but he's a rookie. He's still learning, but you can see, what he's slowly becoming and he's gaining more. So the game against Vancouver, I'm hoping to see uh, <laughs> with the lack of all the five on threes, a little bit more ice time towards Slavkowski and his line with Monaghan, maybe, right. maybe upwards of 16 minutes just to see how he does against a team like Vancouver who they're up and down, but they are, they do have a lot of very good pieces there. They do. They've got firepower and I will not underestimate them when, you look at some of the weapons they have in Patterson, Horvat, who's having a very good season. He got 19 goals this year, uh, contract year. He wants, uh, he wants to be, um, he wants everyone to be looking at him. That's for sure. Possibly, guys that are going to sign him in the off season if he if he doesn't resign in Vancouver. Um, they've got Miller. They've still got Quinn Hughes, who uh, who right now has 23 assists and no goals. So. Um, I know a lot of us were looking at Barzell at the start of the year because he didn't have a goal and he had a whole hell of a lot of assists. Well, now it's Quinn Hughes. Uh, you've got uh, Kosmenko, who come over from the KHL, who's starting to heat up and he's almost a point of game player. Um, they've got all these tools, but their defense is very poor. Yes. And their number one goaltender, who hasn't really been playing like their number one goaltender, in Demko is actually out with an injury right now. So you're out, so the Canadians are either going to see Spencer Martin or they're going to see Delea, who was just called up. So Spino mm -hmm. Martin played the other night against Arizona. Could we see Martin again or are they going to throw Delea in against the against the Canadians on Monday night? It's hard to say. I would assume Martin gets the start because there's been a couple of days in between. Um and a player on the Canucks lineup that that's going to be of interest to me in that game is Brock Besser. Right. Because he has always been a Habs killer, but there's some issues with him and the team right now. They've given him permission to talk to other teams to try and facilitate a trade. Yep. So whatever the reason, he just doesn't fit with them anymore, even though 
he's a highly skilled he is. scoring winger. He is. Um, there was a lot of talks that he was going to get. Uh, he was going to be the healthy scratch the other night. He ended up still playing the game. He ended up scoring a goal. Um, yeah. And he's sitting on 15 points in 19 games right now with only four goals. And like, yes, that's a low number for Besser. He's really known more as a goal scorer than a, uh, than a playmaker, but you still got a guy that's got 15 points in 19 games. You look at, you throw that on the Canadians lineup and all of a sudden you're not doing too bad. No, exactly. And you got to keep in mind as well. Uh, it's not like he, the team is doing him any favors by playing so poorly. Yeah. Yeah. It'll I mean, be last it'll season. Be, be they were just potting him. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he gets traded, where he ends up. He's, I think he's making just over 6 million a year for the next couple seasons after this. Yeah. He's on a three-year deal making like 6.3 or 6.4 or something like that. Um, he could really flourish on another team. And if they're giving him permission to talk to other teams. It might be a buy low on him that might really pay off for another team. And I've been a fan of his, I, the, this, you know, he's got quite the story with his, uh, his, you know, his father just passed away recently of cancer. And I think it would have been a really, uh, a kind of a disservice to him if they would have scratched him last night because it was their hockey fights cancer game. So I, I don't know if that was the reason they end up saying, ah, we'll put you in, but, I'm happy that uh, I'm happy he played last night. I'm happy they scored a goal. And I think it, it, this is going to be an interesting time as well, because the, uh, the Ottawa senators have been sending a lot of people to watch Habs games, including the GM and the assistant GM. If people out there don't believe me, go check out Montreal hockey. Now Marco D'Amico put friend of the show, Marco D'Amico. Hey Marco. Uh, he put out quite a bit of information on the scouts that were showing up to multiple games in a row and the, the GM, the assistants, uh, the pro, uh, the head scouting head of pro scouting was at several games, including on this road trip. So maybe Ottawa sees something and there's a deal to be made there so that the senators can finally end their rebuild and move up ahead of the Canadians who are actually rebuilding. Right. Well, you look at the you look at the you look at the the bodies that they brought in. It was a kind of a wholesale change for the Sens, and yeah. so far it just it hasn't worked out. Some of the firepower that they have, um, you look at them throughout the lineup, and you're like, you should be a better team than what you're putting on the ice. Yeah, but if they do need a defenseman, I mean, Edmondson's right there. He is. It would be a it would be a, a drop in the leadership group. That's for sure. If they were to move him out, true. But. You get a good price for him, yeah. With the way the rookie defensemen are playing, you, you got to you got to yeah. make the move. Yeah, but then it's who do you bring in to fill the void, right? So I don't think you need to bring anybody in. You do, you do, but you really? know, like when you, if I'm looking at a tough minute guy, I'd rather have Edmondson in there than a Chris Weidman. True, right? So, uh, and however, I, and I wouldn't want to put that much pressure on. Jack guy yet or on Kabasovich? I think you can spread those minutes around to all of those young guys. I mean, more time for them to play on a, in a season that really there's no pressure. Right. What does Emerson still have left on his contract? One more season at 3.5 after this. One more season. See, I could see him moving maybe after next year, right, in, into next year, if he's going to move at all. 
summertime trade deadline yeah. kind of thing. If he's sure. going to if he's sure. going to move at all because it's going to sh- they're going to shore up a little bit more money to spend. Um, they obviously they get a sign uh, Caulfield, etc. But I don't think he's going to move just yet. I think they want to see. I think they want to see maybe a full season from their youth, see what they're looking at, and they don't want to fast track some of the youth into playing these tough minutes that quick. You don't want to see Kovacevic yeah. or Harris or Jack I have have to be shuffled into a fourth line or fourth or into a top four role right away when Gooley right now is is playing to that level. Like I can see Gooley going out there day after day and playing against top competition. And I don't have a problem with that. He's been the one that in that mix, that rotating uh, mix of defensemen, he's the one that you're necessary. You are 100% not taking out of the lineup, but he's, but he's proven yeah. that with his play. The other fellas haven't just yet. True. No, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing whatsoever. I'm just thinking that you can give a little bit more time, a little bit more developmental opportunities. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be heartbroken if they got a good return for him right, right. away. That right. It depends but, on the deal, obviously. Like anything yeah. else, we've talked yeah, to exactly. We've talked about him a bit. We've talked about uh, Anderson a bit. We've talked about other pieces, and it really comes down to what the trade entails, what what they can get for him. I just think that. If a trade's to be made, maybe it's more of an off-season thing. Um, you look at some of the money that they're going to be getting rid of in Dadnov, Drouin, et cetera, you're going to have a little bit more to play with. So maybe sure. yeah. m- maybe a deal will be there to uh, to be had to bring in another guy. Now, before we end it, because we're going to cut this, sh- uh, this episode a little shorter than normal because we don't have Treg rambling. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh the Canadians final game on this road trip is going to be against the Seattle Kraken who yep. oddly enough are one of the better teams in the uh the Western Conference. They are. Now part of that game it's about the same time that Shane Wright's uh time in the AHL will be up and he'll be available to them to play. Do you think that they're going to actually dress him for a game to play the Habs before he gets the opportunity to go to the World Juniors? It's hard to say because if he does, it's a publicity thing. If not, one of his first games back after the World Juniors is in Montreal. So I could see that as more of a target, especially if Canada does well, especially if he does well at the World Juniors, to come back, ride a high, go into Montreal where you were drafted, and try to say like, "Hey, you guys should have drafted me," and try to have a strong game. It wouldn't surprise me if they they injected him into the lineup um, based on his showing so far with uh, their AHL affiliate. However, they've also got a good thing going. Yeah, so, they're not going to change the. They're exactly. not going to change what they're doing. Do you really want to change your lineup just to say like, "Hey, we have this, and you have Slavkovsky." So now, I can see it happening for publicity wise. Yeah. If I'm Seattle, I don't make the change. I say, go to the juniors perform, bring home gold for your country. And then we'll see how you look when you come back. But if he does play for whatever reason, uh, how long is he going to stare down the bench? <laughs> Longer than Jordan Bennington. <laughs> <laughs> 
right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe he just stares up at the press box. Or if he is in the press box, does he just sit and stare at Hughes? Oh, maybe. He just looks just looking across the whole time. <laughs> just dead it's, ass it's, staring him it's, in the it's eye. It's hard to say. You know the kid's gonna be a good player. Like we poke fun at him yeah. and, we poke, and, and everything else. You know the kid's gonna be a good player. And if he ends up playing for Team Canada, the juniors, I hope that he does well. I hope he's a leader for that team. And I hope he does help Canada bring home um a gold medal on Canadian soil. Um, however, with how they've been playing, and you look at some of their centers uh in Schwartz, McCann, Beneers, etc. Um, uh, Yanni Gord, Wenberg, whoever else um that they're playing at these positions, geeky, etc. These are NHL players. And yeah, he's are, gonna have his uh he's, he's gonna, gonna have, have his work his, cut out to take yeah, their spot. Because it's geeky that really is the one that has been uh has been um pushing the play on that fourth line right now. And he's a uh you know, half a point a game player right now, even though he's playing sub 10 minutes a game, he's, he's making the most yeah. of it. So for, if right now there's for, for right to come in and to be productive, he's got to be in a, a top nine, top six role. And right now with the way that Seattle Kraken are playing, that's not there for him. No arguments here. Now, before we sign off, or do you have any final thoughts? Um, don't know their names off the top of my head because I kind of forgot about it until you asked me this. Um, but look up the story on the Brandon Wheat Kings. And there were four young gentlemen that uh, stopped a uh, potential suicide um, by just simply asking a gentleman if he was okay. And it looked like he was going to possibly take his life off of a bridge. And uh, they were able to get help for him. And they mo most definitely saved a life that night. So good on them. And uh that's uh, an incredible story. Yeah, and it, it, it comes at a time when hockey culture is being just bombarded with all kinds of stuff. So n hearing the good side, because there's a lot of good in the hockey world. A 100%. lot. Yep. So hearing a little bit of good news, uh, a nice story, uh, it's, it's heartwarming. And I'm very, very proud of what those young men did. I'm very happy that uh, they were able to to do that for that man okay so i have their names here because okay. i don't want i don't want to not bring up their names uh so it was jake chasson calder anderson uh nolan ritchie and ben thornton so good good on you for uh for everything you did uh you know you didn't you could have kept driving that night um but the fact that you you know, you stopped your vehicle. You asked this guy if he was okay, and I said you, you saved a life. It, as 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 Blaine alluded to, uh, in a time where it's scandal after scandal after negative press after everything else, um, it's nice to see a positive um, story when it comes to hockey, especially in Canada. And uh, good on you for what you did. And for myself, I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in for uh, sharing with us, for sending emails, interacting with us on social media and uh, helping us grow our subscription base by 38% year over year. Um, it shows that you guys like what you're hearing. We're happy about that. Uh, we, we're, we're very proud that you've added us 
our new listeners have added us to their rotation. We know there's a ton of great shows out there. I listen to several. Uh, there, there's a ton of wonderful shows. Uh, we can go on for hours naming them all, but we know we're not the only show you listen to. We're happy to be part of that rotation. So again, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.